Hello and welcome back to Just Baste. For those of you who don't know, Just Baste means to just talk, and that's exactly what we do here. We talk about topics related to sports, politics, science, and technology, and everything in between. My name is Ashwin, and my co-host is actually missing today. He is either gone missing or he's ignorant. We'll have to find out what. But knowing him, he is the kind of guy who does ignore me. But he'll come back. He'll come back soon. Well, he has to come back because this place doesn't run without him. All the background work that goes behind this podcast is all him. So kudos to him. But instead, we have a very special guest today. I call him very special because he's a very special friend of mine. All the way from America, once my classmate, he's intellectually brilliant. That he has knowledge and fields that go beyond my knowledge. So his name is Suraj Sahar. Suraj, say hi. Hello. Thank you so much, Ashwin, for the introduction. <laughs> well, it's fair. It's absolutely fair. From the first episode, which was sports, we are going to take a political turn today. We are going to discuss on a topic that spoken about all over the world and whatever opinion that's been said is is a means to controversy, and that's what we are going to do. We are going to give in to that controversy. We are going to talk about hate speech, like the title suggests. I'm sorry, but this is just an interruption between the recording. That's also why there's music playing behind. Uh, to tell you that all the background noises, all the disturbances that you're going to hear behind the conversation is just because of the con- connectivity issue. Like I said, he's in America and I'm in India, so these things happen. I hope you can see through that and actually listen to what we are talking about. Cool. So. Suraj, I'll ask you the most basic question of what hate speech is, right? So, what is hate speech? What do you think hate speech is, and if it's, uh, and if it's a subject subjective definition? So, hate speech is again, there is no definition for it, but I think vaguely speaking, it is anything that is derogatory, abusive, or harmful against a person. And so, for instance, if you call me an idiot, I could con- probably consider that hate speech. But I think therein lies the problem with hate speech because we cannot strictly define anything as anything as hate speech, and you know people get offended with anything, especially in today's day and age. So we could consider anything hate speech for that matter. Fair enough. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true because I have my laptop next to me, and on that there's a definition from another site that says any derogatory remark that. Uh, Offends any social group that seems to be a minority. Now, I find pro- I find a problem with this definition because what do you define minority? Do you think there is because minorities again depending on the area, right? And then when you have right. a definition like this that says any derogatory remark against a minority, where does where do you think that lies? Like, do you think that's a definite or that's relevant do you think that's a good so defining minorities in the context of policy making and i think in general politics political discussion or political discourse kind of makes sense but i think when it comes to social media when it comes to hate speech then of course defining minority doesn't make sense because social media is like a, often uh, covers a much larger uh, spectrum of discussions and so for instance if you're talking about let's say an indian page on facebook i think uh, hate speech against um, uh, let's say a majority uh, group, uh, a majority group or against a minority group should be treated equally, e- equally hits. Like if you're treating everything 
derogatory as hate speech, then both should be treated as hate speech, not just the ones against minorities. But um, having said that, I think um, there is uh, again there is there lies a problem with hate speech because uh, you cannot define who it's hurting and what it's hurting specifically. Like something could uh, like for instance, there can be a world leader that you're trying to question. And um, uh, let's say you are trying to like question the powers at place and trying to question policy making. You're trying to question the ideology or whatever. You're trying to like raise a significant question against authority. Then people might just say, okay, this is hate speech against the leader, and therefore this person or this person's speech should be banned. But of course, that's not true because that's inflicting on my freedom of speech. And I'm not exercising any kind of hate speech, and instead just questioning uh, power structures, the existing power structures, which is why I, I don't think uh, that, that kind of a definition doesn't make sense. True. And now the listeners, you guys know where he stands with hate speech. We are going to discuss mostly on two topics because he is in America, but an Indian, and I'm in India, being an Indian. We are going to discuss on the First Amendment and uh, the Sedition Act of India, or history of regulations that we put up on speech in India. So first, we'll go on to the First Amendment. Surat, can you, in the most layman terms, explain what? The First Amendment in America is, and and my question to you on that would be: Doesn't America has a history of regulating for more than so? First, even though the First Amendment was in play, so do you don't you think that's contradictory? Yes. So uh, let me first like start with what the First Amendment is. So when America first adopted its constitution, so India of course adopted the constitution in 1950 in effect uh, uh, and that's when it became a republic but america became independent in 1776 if i'm not wrong and adopted a constitution in 1791 which is when it adopted 10 amendments and called the bill of rights and considered these like the most fundamental bill of rights and almost sacrosanct so the first amendment for instance uh, protects your freedom of speech and expression of religion and your second amendment protects your right to defend yourself and whatnot and i think therefore the amendments protecting your privacy protecting other essential rights like right to life right to transport right to communication and whatnot but I think essentially what the First uh, Amendment does is prevents the government from making laws which regulate an establishment of religion and prohibit the free exercise of religion or abridge the freedom of speech. So, for instance, if the U.S. government decides to write a law that um, is against a particular religious community exercising uh, their right uh, that is part of the religion or it uh, inflicts the right of uh, a certain press organization making a statement in the press. Then I think that would be uh, that would be against the First Amendment because it specifically uh, prohibits the right for organizations to exercise the right to the right to express themselves or say something. But I think any law that has been made since then that has uh, accounted for any inflictment in this regard is absolutely um, is of course a blatant disregard for this amendment, but also. Uh, horrific because I think fundamentally what it means is that people have the right to say anything and express themselves as long as they're not harming anybody else. And I think there are also positive sides to this because essentially uh, the constitution is not uh, a work in isolation and often needs to be seen as a dynamic document and a work in progress. So if you look at uh, you know uh, U.S. history as a period of time, we've seen that uh, what we consider free speech has expanded over a period of time. So there was a time where uh, People, uh, the government especially used to inflict on people's right to uh, criticize religion, especially Christianity, and uh, criticize their uh, criticize particular symbols of uh, Christianity. But as we have seen uh, over the 20th and 21st century, free speech expanded to include uh, campaign finance, anonymous speech, 
political speech, uh, uh, even um, uh, what we consider in India abusive content, or even school speech. Uh, by that I mean the speech of uh, students in public schools. And I think this especially is important because they have understood what exactly means by free speech and define free speech. And of course, uh, when there is little freedom, there is no freedom. We need absolute freedom, and that's what freedom means. So freedom, freedom of speech also means that you need absolute freedom of speech. And it's not like, oh, you can't make this statement and then it's not freedom of speech. So yeah, absolutely agree with you in that regard. But I'll, I'll, I'll ask you a question looking at the other side of the story, right? So in 1990, right. in a state in America, there was a kid who burned the Christian cross in a family of his neighbor who was African-American. I don't know why that specification is important, but that is there in the news. So might as well say it. Uh, he was convicted, he was put behind bars, and a few years later, that is 1992, he was let go in the accounts of free speech. Now, the question to you is, what, isn't that right to express? And he shouldn't he, shouldn't have he been let go on the counts of right to express? If not, what is it, if, is there a difference between right to express and freedom of speech? Because right to express can also be a physical act like what he did, but he was let go on the grounds of free speech, which I don't think is what he did. Or do you think there's a difference? Or if not, why do you think it's similar? Okay, so we have to make one distinction here. So did he physically harm somebody or inflict on somebody else's individual right? No, he did not. He just then I think he has a perfect right to free speech because however horrible something he did was, so for instance, I'm a Hindu, but if somebody decides to insult some God of my religion or decides to uh, burn a symbol of my religion, then I don't think I have any right to inflict on his individual right to express himself or herself. Because as long as you're not harming somebody else, you have the perfect right to express yourself. And I think the distinction I'm trying to make here is that there are two kinds of expressions. One is that one that does not uh, violate the non-aggression principle, and the second that actually violates the non-aggression principles. For instance, I cannot say that me tort mentally torturing somebody for a period of one year is an expression, is my right to free expression. And that is not true because I think right to free expression only uh, can be abided by when it covers things that do not violate the non-aggression principle. So for listeners who want to know what the non-aggression principle is, so uh, classical liberals and libertarians have this philosophy that is uh, that is based on the fact that anything is fine as long as it does not inflict on somebody else's individual rights. So that includes the right to privacy, right to property, right to life, and etc. So if I'm harming you, if I'm physically hurting you, that violates the right to uh, that violates a non-aggression principle. So in this case, this individual did not violate the non-aggression principle, although he may have been derogatory towards an entire community. But I still think he had the right to express himself or herself. Now, before coming back to India and talking about their history, I want to talk about the non-aggression principle. And see, now that's a belief system, right? It's not a. It is an ideology. It's a belief system. So why do you, why do you so? If let's say I did harm someone or do something, which is what happens, like for example, trolling or anything on that regard online through texts and messages and comments, you don't even have to be a personality anymore to get trolled online. So isn't that, so I, can I not say that I just have right to express myself? Why should, so, why should, okay, yeah. why should uh, I, what? you believe in why does why why does your belief system make it right why are you right and why am i right, right? 
That's a very good question because ultimately, so um, most people, uh, I mean, a lot of people since the Enlightenment era have considered certain things self-evident truths. And I think that is based around the philosophy of rationalism because a lot of liberalism since that time, I mean, because of philosophers like Adam Smith, John Locke, etc., uh, even Jean-Jacques uh, Jean uh, Rousseau have considered the stuff like, uh, you know, principles like the non-aggression principle, a self-evident truth and that which humanity must abide by. But having said that, if you do not consider the principle, at least consider it, I think, a basic law of the land. Because I think what I personally consider the rule of law should be based on, any government action should be based on, is every government policy must be based on the fact that it must protect individual rights. So I think the whole point of having a government is to protect individuals and not for anything else. So for instance, if the government has a law against murdering somebody, it's because it's against the fact that you're harming an individual's right to life. If uh, if the government has a law against for feature of uh, private assets, then that is a uh, in, in, then uh, the for feature of the private assets would be a infringement of right to property. So similarly, I think it's a self-evident truth, and that sh that I think rule of law should be based on. But having said that, I think if you still consider uh, so if you're talking about people harming somebody even through free speech then I think we need to understand what are the long-term effects of it and only a judiciary can decide if that comes under the freedom of expression. So I certainly don't think online bullying should be considered that part of it. So if somebody constantly bullies someone online, let's say, and consider it as a part of the free expression and decides like completely bully that person to the extent that that person ends up committing suicide or suffers from mental health illness, then I certainly think that does not come out of free speech because then you're actively uh, uh, you know, being aggressive against somebody. And you, you, the non-aggression principle does not only have to cover physical aggression. It can also be mental or verbal aggression. So yeah, I certainly agree with that. But I think again, verbal ag aggressions again, uh, like just as free speech, uh, just as hate speech, I mean, uh, is not something as absolute. So I think it needs to be seen in context. But I think in most cases, free speech is absolute. I mean, you cannot just like say, okay, this thing is wrong and this thing is right. And that's what I mean by saying, oh, it's absolute. Interesting. That what before before going back to or coming back to India, I want to I want to just on a lighter note. It's not light. It's hideous. It's funny. <laughs> what, in 1919, there was a lawyer who argued against the relentless effort of having regulations against speech, so that hate speech. There's a column called hate speech and something that's been regulated. The lawyer's name is Oliver Wendell Holmes. He was part of the Supreme Court. He argued saying that if your if the regulations are so tight and strict, even though is in place, you should actually make sure that someone shouting fire in a theater be considered as hate speech and that person should be put behind bars, which I thought was funny because the example he gave is almost exactly what's happening around the world. Whatever you say that goes against someone's belief system or someone's will or even some maybe a government for that matter, you are put behind bars on the account speech which is disastrous anyway coming back to india for listeners for those of you who don't know when i asked surit about if he was ready to be part of this because i thought he was perfectly suited now you know why he was more or less excited to talk about india's history and their regulations on hate speech so go ahead and explain or tell your tale Okay, so uh, India's, uh, I think, uh, I think uh, flirtation with free speech is very similar to America's because I think uh, India, uh, uh, when it first published its constitution or put its constitution in effect, 
as uh, you know a dreamt or vision by uh, you know visionaries like B.R. Ambedkar uh, we had article 9 section a article 9, article 19 section 1a saying that um, people had uh, we had to protect the government has to protect the citizens right to free speech and expression and that was guaranteed by that article however the first thing that really started putting us on a backward track or put us backward on on the regard of free speech was in 1950 a left leaning journal uh, called crossroads which was to be published by the journalist named Ramesh Thapar was banned by the Madras state for publishing critical reviews of Jawaharlal Nehru and that's why this journal uh, crossroads decided to petition the indian uh, the supreme court and the supreme court then passes landmark judgment against uh, Ramesh Thapar and crossroads saying that um, saying that uh, although the uh, although article 19 actually covers free speech i think from then on uh, it also cannot uh, exclude uh, it, it cannot ex- it cannot uh, include abuse of freedom of speech and expression and this was because of a specific nehru administration policy in 1951 which uh, which kind of made an uh, the, which is ironically the first amendment of the indian constitution which states that a uh, freedom of speech cannot include abuse of freedom of speech and expression of course we could continue arguing about how vague abuse could mean but i think that was the beginning of our uh, downward track and ironically although ambedkar was the first person to actually write about the guarantee of free speech and expression he actually supported this act i think very few freedom fighters and i think uh, one one of the most notable ones shyam prasad mukherjee actually opposed this amendment for curtailing the freedom of speech and expression and it's extreme i i'm saying this is ironic because the first amendment of the american constitution is something that makes america a great democracy because it actually protects the freedom of speech and almost absolute freedom of speech i think almost because of course there are always certain exceptions but in most cases it is but in india i think it is ironic that the first very first amendment of the indian constitution ends up being an amendment of an article that actually uh, initially guaranteed free speech and expression and from then on it didn't and i think uh, it, it's unfortunate because uh, you also mentioned sedition briefly right before and uh, for the viewers who want to listen a sedition basically means that if you are uh, if you commit tre- treason against your country or uh, make an uh, make a statement or action that is against the will of the government or your country then you can be arrested and that is what sedition means and i think that is extremely horrific because uh, uh, this, this is an act from the british administ- the, from the british raj administration and they used to use sedition to arrest freedom fighters they used to arrest protesters against the british government and it absolutely doesn't make sense that the indian government still practices uh, arrests and uh, inflictments of free speech based on sedition and and you know not just sedition i mean as you as i said uh, now we uh, we can arrest people based on abuse of freedom of speech and expression due to the horrific and draconian nehruvian policy but uh, but also uh, we can also arrest people based on defamation because people apparently now have the right to uh, you know, claim that oh this person defamed me so that person has a right to be arrested now uh, i i, I want to mention one thing here that if you defame somebody of the right to file a lawsuit against that person because that person's reputation or fame could actually directly govern that person's uh that person's income or wealth or uh life life being but having said that i still think uh the government doesn't have the right to arrest you because you defamed someone and having said that it's also absolutely draconian that jawaharlal nehru one of our most liberal prime ministers even relatively liberal speaking he was still an authoritarian nonetheless because he actually inflicted our free speech rights since the beginning now i respect nehru a lot he was the first prime minister he had faced a lot of troubles and uh, i mean he he should be credited for establishing a lot of institutions in our country but i think the ramesh thapar example really shows you how much the government actually inflicted on the rights of the indian people especially in terms of free speech so for instance there's a famous lyricist named majrur sultanpuri who i think uh, a lot of uh, listeners of bollywood songs might know 
So Majrul Sultanpuri used to be a vocal critic of Nehru and used to compare him to Hitler. And just because he said that, Nehru actually got him arrested. And it's absolutely horrific because I think no artist, no creative person, no no writer, no no individual for that matter should be arrested just because they arrested a leader. And I think Nehru shouldn't be considered exclusive in this regard because, because almost every single leader since then, Indra Gandhi, Rajiv Gandhi, even Narendra Modi, for instance, has actually absolutely inflicted on our free speech and have arrested people uh, left and right just because uh, they have uh, criticized the Indian state. Talking about Narendra Modi, let's say the government arresting people. For those of you who don't know, the Sedition Act of India is Section 124A. And briefly, uh, it says that any words that's been spoken, written, or signs, or visible representations, or otherwise, that brings attempts to bring into hatred, or condemn, or excites, or attempts to excite. That, that definition just fathoms my mind because there are no specifications at all. It's just contempt or hatred or excites. That can be anything what the government wants. Right? I think that's that's exactly what the Britishers did and we just carry on with it. Not talking about it. There's no discussion. And I was just naive enough to think that our government does not do anything about it or does not act on it. But I was completely wrong where there were a few cases a few years ago where, when uh, there were students apparently shouting out anti-India slogans and pro-Pakistan slogans who got arrested. And then last year for the CAA, which is the Citizenship Amendment Act, they got arrested just because people were opposing it on the grounds of the Sedition Act. Why do you think that, not, not speaking about it, but why do you think they haven't removed it from the law? I mean, it is, uh, it is, I mean, it's a curious case because as I said, I think since the very, I mean, since the beginning of independence, I think the initial administration set us on a trajectory of inflicting on us free speech and they considered sedition as a way of arresting people who actually went against the desires of the Indian state. And I think since then, no other prime minister has thought it necessary to actually remove sedition. Now, interesting, there were some party platforms in the 2019 Lok Sabha election who actually put removing sedition from their uh, from the Indian constitution. And I think that was a good idea, but thing is that even the same parties who actually talked about, like for example, Congress had it on the platform of removing sedition from the constitution. But I think that's absolutely hypocritical because the Congress Congress was the one who actually arrested the most number of people uh, because, of, uh, going, uh, because of going against the sedition law. And I think this just shows to you that a lot of politics is about incentives. Now, incentives is something that we talk in economics, talk about in economics. So most of economic action such as me as a consumer, you as a producer could, and most of our behavior is based on our incentives. So my consumer incentives would be based on the fact that I want to demand this quantity of a good and the supplier's incentives would be based around the fact that he or she wants to supply this amount of a particular good. Now in politics, incentives work in a way that the state, have, state has incentives to maximize its power while the individuals have incentives to actually protect their power or their rights. Now, I think that shouldn't be the case because I think the individual's uh, uh, the individual's incentive should be to maximize his or her uh, happiness, while the state's uh, incentive should actually be to protect the individual. But that, that has not been the case. And I think this is just a very good example of perverse incentives at play here, because I think the Indian state never found it necessary, as I said, to actually remove this additional law because it found it suiting its own incentives. Now that's just all political institutions, right? Now all that we discussed about were the governments, the First Amendment, the laws, 
of political institution now let's come to private companies organizations there have been social media sites and we know there are names that have been brought about who who've been under fire for not having regulations against hate speech but there have been other private companies like for example reddit they have a guideline where it says that they cannot be any derogatory remarks against minorities now the problem with that is if you say against minorities coming back to the point i made way earlier that when you say minorities there's no definite definition and when it's an organization or when it's a social media app that's being used all over the world we know who the majority is like we know who they are we know what skin type they are we know which part of the world they come from why are they considered the majority and why is this guideline even there if i wouldn't say i would agree with just regulating against speech for not using hate speech or not using words that are abusive but if you have a clause that says against minorities that doesn't that create a lot of problems not just yeah i agree i mean uh, i mean we shouldn't define hate speech even if you're defining hate speech for private organization so okay before i say um i think private organizations has a right to provide a platform to anybody they want so if a private organization like twitter or facebook decides to ban somebody i think they have the right to do that because uh, in this case it's not the it's not the state or government acting on people but instead a private company because what essentially happens when i use the app facebook or twitter is i'm essentially using the facebook or twitter app in exchange for facebook or twitter showing some ads to me and facebook and or twitter would actually earn money from those ads so essentially it's the free market and if a producer decides to not supply a good or service to a consumer he or she has a perfect right to do so which is why i believe if facebook wants to ban somebody they want they can absolutely do so but having said that i think it's still morally or ethically wrong to um just remove somebody for some vague definition of hate speech now having also i think we need also need to keep in mind because uh, i think organizations also i think have a moral responsibility to actually uh, uh, regulate content b- based on uh, things that are absolutely horrific so if if instance if a person makes a tweet about threatening to murder someone i think the organization has a moral responsibility for removing that tweet and of course it's an extreme example and you could also consider examples of politicians using fake news to influence people or um, i think big companies like cambridge analytica are using uh, uh, ai to influence elections but having said that um, i think o- o- what essentially is at play here is i, I think hate speech uh, should not be defined at all i think we should rather if you really want to regulate a private organization's platform like on social media i think that company uh, should rather uh, filter out its content based on uh, truth versus lies like it can filter out things that are not true absolutely not true or if it's uh, unless it specifically states that it's a feeling or what the person is trying to say and second i think it, it, instead of defining it in terms of minorities even if you say something is absolutely derogatory it should be derogatory in the sense that it actually uh, even implicitly tries to violate the non aggression principle so if instance somebody is being absolutely abusive to someone to the extent of bullying that person then i think that that those kind of messages can be filtered out but not because somebody has just been slightly derogatory to some person who is a minority in one country but not a minority in another so yeah you're absolutely right but i think i just like to make that distinction clear and um yeah once again i think a private organization has a right to filter out any content it wishes to although i still think it's ethically a slippery slope if you think it's okay for private organizations to do that let's come from private organizations to schools and universities cuz Right. we know where you stand with this we know how you do not like regulations on free speech and the concept of hate speech as it is 
So why do you think we all know that schools and universities and colleges have regulations on how you may speak, what is what is considered discipline and what is considered not, what is okay to say, what are things that are not okay to say. Don't you think uh-huh. schools and universities should open up and say that? Because considering if you want a state or a country that does not have regulations against speech, shouldn't that start from the root of kids and which is schools and universities? Or do you think that's dangerous? That's simply dangerous. Uh, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Because uh, in in America, for instance, the First Amendment actually includes school speech because people or students actually have the right to express themselves freely in schools. And I think that also includes um, you know stuff like students making derogatory remarks or even uh, students trying to make a politically controversial comment because I think essentially the student is just exercising his or her free speech. However, having said that, I think uh, public schools and universities should be especially taken into regard because they have they don't have the right to inflict on somebody's free speech because they are essentially public property. But in private schools and universities, there is essentially a contract at play here between the owner or supplier of the school versus a consumer of the school services that is the students. Because essentially, if the school decides to spend a student, then uh, the it's just the producer um, uh, producer not willing to supply a good or service to a consumer. But having said that, I still think it's morally ethically wrong for any school or university to inflict on free speech unless a student is actually um, you know, uh, breaking the decorum of a classroom or going against the rules of the school. Because, I mean, I still believe in uh, having certain rules and, uh, you know, order to abide by. But uh, I, I still think the schools and universities should try their best to maximize free speech. So, for instance, if somebody starts shouting or using racist slurs against all other students in a particular classroom, I think the teacher has, for you know, the perfect right to actually suspend that student or take the student out of the class because it's the teacher's classroom and there's a certain order to abide by. But having said that, the government can't just come in and arrest that person if, if he or his, him or her, uh, if the government just wishes to, because I think that is absolutely horrific. And whenever the government comes into play, there's always there's always a question of coercion and perverse incentives, as I said, because the government essentially has a monopoly over power and monopoly over violence. And th- th- it's very hard to break the monopoly of violence. And the government almost can use anything to inflict on uh, its students' speech if it wants. And I, I would also like to talk about certain issues because I've seen that a lot of universities, if it's a public university, that a lot of left-leaning students, if a right-leaning speaker comes and makes a speech that is derogatory or considered controversial for the left-leaning students, that uh, speakers, uh, you know, ask to be banned, and um, you know, people talk about stuff like uh, this person should not have the right to speak here. But I think that person does because uh, ultimately, if 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 a single person wants to hear that person uh, speak. I think that person has the perfect right to express himself or herself. But um, I mean, if a university does try to suspend somebody, if it's a private university, I would still consider that okay. But I think it's lawfully okay. But I think ethically and morally speaking, it doesn't make sense and it shouldn't be the case. This is one fear I have. This is one fear I have. But wait, wait. Is there an echo? There is not much of an echo. There was an echo last time. Good, good. So tell me if this is a fear you have, because it's one. Uh, this is one kind of fear I have is that uh, if you start restricting speech or have regulations against speech, that there won't be a stop because speech or what 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 is considered abusive is always subjective. Yes, there are obvious yes. racial and sexist terms, but 
there are terms that I won't I won't take the name, but there are animals which are considered against a particular social group because it has a history of being used against a particular social group. So if that starts to get banned, then there are other terms that will get banned. In the end, what what the fear I have is the ability to have a dialogue between two parties that may offend anyone, may be restricted. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's something we will grow into if we'll have regulations against speech. Do you think, do you have a fear of that? You're absolutely right. I mean, as I said, the perfect example is India because um, for, uh, a very good example. So um, when the when the Congress was at power, we had you know leaders like Jawaharlal Nehru and Indira Gandhi actually banning people from making statements against the party at power. So Indira Gandhi used to you know right and left arrest people because they used to make statements against Indira Gandhi. She uh, almost banned Subramanian Swami, who's now a BJP MP, from making statements. She um, arrested a lot of BJP leaders. There was there was no BJP at that time, but I think all the leaders who are BJP now or used to be part of the RSS back then. They, Indira Gandhi just uh, banned them from speaking. Now, uh, of course, you could say that, okay, the state right now makes laws that are against that party in power. Now, if a different party comes in power, now once the BJP came to power, you would expect, okay, they would now be supporting free speech. But now, since we, we are already on a trajectory of inflicting on speech, free speech, they started using laws to go against the people who are uh, going against people who are against them in power. So right now, uh, people, you know, uh, people who are supporting the Congress or people who are supporting, you know, left-leaning ideologies that are against the BJP are getting arrested for no reason. And I think that's exactly the point that, I, that you're you're trying to make, and I absolutely support, which is which is that once we are on a trajectory of making regulations against free speech, if one person's making those regulations, another person could simply come in, um, uh, give you the, a bitter taste of your own medicine. And that is the problem with uh, making any hate speech laws or hate speech uh, regulations, because uh, like, as I said, like if one party uh, decides to make a, a law against uh, people who are going against them, another party could just come into power and make a law against the other party. Like, uh, I mean, this sounds kind of confusing because I'm saying this party, other party, but yeah, you know I what know. I mean? Yeah. And, yes. And this is, this is absolute, this shouldn't be the case. I mean, we should we should understand that ultimately we're all individuals and as long as one person is not absolutely um you know in inflicting on somebody else's right i think we shouldn't we shouldn't care i mean just live and let live and that should be our you know philosophy in life i mean just be happy who cares if whatever the other person said we shouldn't get offended by bad humor or you know abusive content and you know no, but just it's, but it's, just yeah but it's easy to say to not get offended how do you so let's say you do get offended and it's something yes. that does offend you. What do you do about it? If there are no regulations on speech, how do you, what do you do if there's someone being racist, not being racist, but using racial slurs and using terms that are just horrific, this, 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 this bad. What do you do? Yeah, yeah, what, do yeah. you, what do you do if there are no regulations? Because then you're just a victim sitting and listening to people shouting out names you don't want to. Okay, so I mean, of course, this uh, depends on context. But I think if somebody makes racist slurs against me, like if it's a one-time incident, then I think I, I should. I mean, it's it's morally responsible for me to completely ignore that person and go about my business because I should just live and let live. And as long as it's not affecting me, I don't care. Like if just because that person uses slur against me, I don't become the slur. But um, having said that, if somebody starts using racist slurs for a long period of time to a point of mental torture and bullying, then I think I have the perfect right to get that person. Um, you know, suspended or arrested because then that is an act of then that is violating the non-aggression principle. But um, again, having said that, uh, just because 
you have the right to say something or something that's uh, offensive or derogatory it does not mean that you start um you know going crazy because for instance there are a lot of examples in the us of a lot of uh, a lot of people coming and vandalizing temples mosques or gurudwaras and i think that for instance is not an exercise of free expression because then that person is going against the rule of law and actually uh, violating the right to property because uh, essentially what that person is doing is uh, destroying structures that somebody else has made and somebody else wants to maintain and i think in in in, in, in we have to look at each scenario in its context and understand whether that constitutes free speech or not and in most cases um, they do and we should not make any regulations on free speech even though it offends even one of us and okay let's take an absolutely extreme example so i talked about burning the cross and what not so let's say somebody burns the indian flag now of course i would absolutely hate the person my god and i don't understand when people burn the indian flag if you have a problem against the indian government just just tell it out and try to express your criticism um, but i think uh, and i would absolutely hate hate a person who would do that but i don't have any right to in, you know inflict on that person's right to burn the flag because that person still exercising free expression doing something that person believes is right and as long as that person not burning the flag to harm me or physically affect me then i think um, it is within that person's right so yeah i mean what i mean to say is that just because something offends you does not mean that it's uh, it's bad yeah the word i was looking for yeah, the word i was looking for the sound in my head i had to use that too but we can go on for hours and talk on this cuz i don't think there'll ever be a conclusion which is what my next question is we know where you stand there are the listeners may know where i stand too about so there are also people who stand on the opposite side too and you need two sides of every coin to have balance in the world cuz it's important i stand by this saying if you believe in something you need someone to not believe in what you believe in just because it brings balance out in the world because if you have one ideology ruling the world we'll just go back to the old times where disastrous things happened to the human kind now my question to you is if there are two sides of every coin how do you find the gray area do you draw a line how do you draw a line or how do you compromise or do you think there is a compromise hmm now again i mean any law that is made to inflict on the right of an even one individual as long as not affecting so if i'm trying to protect one individual and not harming any other individual then i think it's perfect law but uh, i think therein lies the problem because i feel something like free speech is absolute now so for instance if we talk about the right to life which we consider an essential right so for instance if a person has the right to uh, right to live now uh, you can say okay that's extreme because it's an absolute right to live now if the uh, person on the other side says that okay some people do not have the right to live then we cannot say this an extreme because that goes against what we really consider what should constitute the rule of law because uh, some things should be considered self evident truths but having said that um, some things when some people like me could consider self evident truths it may not be self evident truths for the other people and i think of uh, it, it always takes a lot of progress and political strife to resolve problems like these so i think the best example is uh, slavery so if you look at the american civil war in the 1860s abram lincoln was actually moderate at first so although he was against the institution of slavery he wasn't absolutely against abolishing slavery initially and there were there were one side of the aisle the extremes the so called extremists or the abolitionists at those times who wanted to absolutely abolish slavery now we may say okay they weren't really they weren't really extremists because slavery is absolutely horrific and they wanted to abolish something that is horrific but at that point of time slavery was ingrained in the political and social institutions of america so 
people on one side of the aisle who wanted to abolish it were considered extremists. Now, on the other side of the aisle, there were people like there were people who actually wanted to protect slavery, who wanted to expand slavery. Now, uh, people, those people were also considered extremists, but they were considered um, a side of the spectrum in their own right, and they would be considered absolutely horrific in today's by today's standards. Now, it, it only took a moderate like Abraham Lincoln to recognize the uh, you know horror of slavery and understand that it was moderation that that could actually create progress because ultimately, uh, as long as we can find compromise between any two significant groups of extremists, we can al always make progress happen. And we, it was because of Abraham Lincoln's leadership that and it was a leadership leadership of a moderate who decided, okay, slavery is bad. Now, I know a lot of people won't support abolitionists. Now, I can at least hear them out and make policies that can create compromises that ultimately lead to better you know, better rights and better laws. And, and we ended and the America ended up passing laws like banning slavery and expanding African-American civil rights. And that had a lot to do with the progress that moderates made. And that's the point I'm trying to make. Now, there are a lot of beliefs that I personally have that I consider absolute. Now, a lot of people don't consider them absolute. Now, for instance, free speech is not considered absolute in India, which is why I believe we can make, make at least some compromise with them saying that, okay, if this, word, this thing offends you, why do you consider that hate speech? Now, let um, just let live. I think that should be the case because I think as long as they're moderates who want to make progress, I think there will always be progress. And that's a way to ultimately resolve political strife. And as I said, ultimately, any law that is made to protect individuals is the right kind of law because that is the whole goal of government. And as Margaret Thatcher put it beautifully, um, uh, and, and I think I'll do injustice to Margaret Thatcher if I don't uh, quote her properly, but what she essentially said was, there is no such thing as society. There are individual men and women and there are families. And that is absolutely true because ultimately the whole goal of government action should be to protect the individual and not to, uh, you know, just to do something for, this, uh, for, the, for the social good just because it violates one individual. Now we've been going about this for 42 minutes and this is a topic where conclusions can never be made. And, and I think you have an interesting take on it, except uh, we, as we know that a lot of people won't agree or disagree. For, for those <laughs> listeners listening and for people who want to comment and to rant or people who may have agreed or may have not agreed and want something to say, check out our Instagram page, which is just dot passing or just push dot passing. Uh, Surit, I thank you a lot for coming here, man. You the cogency you went on with is absolutely beautiful. I admire you for what you believe in. And that's exactly why you were here. Talking about something like this brings out controversy, controversy for sure. But I think it's important to be spoken about more often than not than being just shunned aside. So thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you listeners for tuning in and for more content and more interesting topics. We'll be uploading every week. So. Stay tuned, follow us on Spotify, follow us, our, follow us, follow our Instagram page. So thank you. See you. Bye. Bye-bye.